The story is told of an unforgettable baptism that took place in a little West Texas church. They were building a new sanctuary, and it was almost finished. The new baptistry was ready, but unfortunately the changing rooms were not. Be that may, the pastor was so excited about the new sanctuary, he planned some baptisms anyway. Since the changing rooms didn't have walls yet, they hung up some curtains so those being baptized could change their clothes. Well, the whole congregation gathered at the start of the service to watch the baptisms in the new baptistry. Everything went well until the last person to be baptized made her way down into the water. This lady was terrified of water. And in those final seconds before being lowered under the water, she panicked, clawing the air for anything to keep her from going under. Within her grasp was the curtain that hung behind the baptistry which served as the front wall of the men's changing room. She reached out and grabbed it and pulled it down. Having just stepped out of the baptistry, there was a man completely naked. And realizing that something dreadful was occurring, he slowly turned around to see the entire congregation looking at him in astonishment. Quickly assessing the situation, the man did the only reasonable thing he could do. He dived back into the baptistry with the preacher and the panic-stricken woman. And with that, the worship service came to a halt. That was it. Now, why did I share that? I don't know. (laughs) That's right. Well, this morning, as we continue in the book of Daniel, the curtain is going to be pulled down, so to speak. Giving us a rare glimpse of the activity that occurs around us in the unseen world. We have come to the last three chapters in this book. Chapters that should probably be taken together as one single unit. In chapter 10, we are given the introduction to a vision. Chapter 11 
is the interpretation of the vision. And chapter 12 is the epilogue of the vision. So this should be taken together as one single unit. But not in one single service. Just in case you were concerned. So with that said, if you have your Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10 which again serves as the introduction. And we will begin with verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the message was true and one of great conflict. But he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. In this first verse, you'll notice it's written in third person. It looks a little different, doesn't it? It's written in third person, and Daniel seems to be giving us a summary. A summary of these next three chapters. In the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel received a vision with a spoken message. We're not given any details. There's no mention of crazy zoo animals with horns. All we are told is that whatever Daniel received in this vision, he knew it to be true. He had come to understand it. And he was aware it included great conflict for his people. That's the summary. And then beginning in verse 2, Daniel explains how all of this came about. It's 536 B.C. The third year of Cyrus. And that's important for context because it means two years have passed since Cyrus issued a decree 
allowing the Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple. Cyrus proclaimed that any person who wanted to go back could do so. But by this time, two years later, only 42,000 Jews had returned home to do the work. While many, many more decided to remain in Babylon. They had no desire to return to the land that God had given them. And this is important to remember. All of the Jews under the age of 70 were born in Babylon. That's important to remember. All of the Jews under the age of 70 were born in Babylon. They had never set foot in their homeland. They had never worshipped at the temple in Jerusalem. So there was no real interest to return. They had become accustomed to the foreign ways. They had settled in a land that was not their own. And they had become comfortable in the culture around them. And as a result, they decided to stay put. And in regards to the temple rebuilding project that's now two years old, the news from Jerusalem wasn't good either. A number of those who had returned home had lost heart. And they were giving little to no effort towards the project. And on top of that, some of the locals who were living in the territory were giving the builders a very hard time and causing a work stoppage. Well, this was, was disturbing and sad to Daniel. He had high hopes for the future of his people, but his hopes were being dashed. He was deeply burdened. And so he went into a period of mourning where he fasted from the choice foods. He ate, but he fasted from the choice foods, the delicacies. He fervently prayed and he applied no lotion to his body, which served several purposes in the desert, to include being used as a symbol of joy. 
So Daniel was in mourning over his people. He's praying and fasting. His heart is turned towards heaven. He's seeking wisdom and insight from God. And after three entire weeks, that's three normal weeks, Daniel goes for a walk. Let's continue on with verse 4. Beginning with verse 4, we are told, On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris. Let's stop right there for a second. From this verse, we now know that Daniel did not return to Jerusalem. He remained in Babylon, likely too old to make the 500 mile or so journey back home, and likely too old to do manual labor on the temple. And so here we find him walking along the bank of the Tigris River, which is several miles away from Babylon. And then Daniel tells us, beginning with verse 5 up there, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold from Euphaz. His body also was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and his feet like the gleam of polished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. While the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me. For my natural color turned to a deathly pallor, that's pale, and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Daniel is walking along the riverbank with his companions. And all of a sudden, he has an encounter with a divine being who appears before him. This divine being looks like a man dressed in linen, with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like a brilliant jewel, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and his legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. 
We're not told what he spoke. But whatever it was, it was overwhelming. Now Daniel's companions did not see any of this. They see nothing, but they sense a great dread in the air. Something ain't right. They're terrified. And they run for cover. Leaving poor old Daniel there all alone. But what does Daniel do? We're told in verse 9, I fell in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. That's another way of saying he passed out. Cold. So who is this divine being that Daniel encounters? There is some mystery there. There's some mystery. And even conservative scholars are split. Some say it's the angel Gabriel again. But Daniel has already seen Gabriel twice. And I don't think a a third appearance would prompt this kind of reaction by Daniel. Some speculate this is a glorious angel unknown to Daniel. Which could be the case. Could be the case. While others suggest this is a Christophany. Meaning this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. I personally lean that direction. I believe Daniel has had an encounter with the Son of God. And I say that because the description given here by Daniel fits the description given later to us by the Apostle John who sees Jesus in all of his glory. And let me show you what I'm talking about. In Revelation chapter 1, beginning with verse 12, this is what John saw. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to his feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it was made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, 
and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Then John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. As you can see, the descriptions by Daniel and John are nearly identical. As well as their reactions when they saw Jesus in all his glory. They passed out cold like dead men. One Sunday after the church service, a man was waiting to speak with the pastor, John MacArthur. When the opportunity came, the man shared with him how he often saw the Lord. He had regular visions of him. Jesus talked with him often. He said, for example, Jesus will come and speak to me while I'm shaving. John MacArthur, who was understandably skeptical, said to him, I just have one question. When you see Jesus, do you stop shaving? When the man said no, John MacArthur said, then I seriously doubt that you really saw Jesus. In the Bible, when God appeared to the prophets and to the apostles, it was utterly devastating. They collapsed before him like a tree being felled. So I think Daniel had an encounter with Jesus in all of his glory. But with that said, if you have a different view and think that this is a glorious angel instead, that is totally okay. You might actually be right. Now, if you can humor me and allow me to follow my train of thought, if this is Jesus... Okay, if this is Jesus, and I think it is, then why would he appear to Daniel right here, right now? I'm only guessing. Okay, I am only guessing, but Daniel is going to receive a vision about the future of his people. And some of it is very disturbing. There's trouble. There's suffering. There's conflict. There's warfare in the days of head. And maybe the Lord wants to establish at the very onset that no matter what happens, no matter what Daniel sees, in the end, when the dust finally settles, it's all about Jesus. And make no mistake, He is the sovereign Lord of all. Maybe that's the reason He appears. Let's continue with verse 10, where we are told, Then behold, a man touched me 
excuse me, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to tell you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left there by the kings of Persia. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. Okay. We left off with Daniel passed out cold. But here, he is aroused by a touch. Helped to his hands and his knees. And remember, Daniel's an old man, so getting up is a process. Right, Dave? Getting up's a process. And he is being spoken to with some very encouraging words. Now, it would be easy to assume that this divine being who is now helping Daniel to get up is the same divine being that Daniel had previously encountered along the riverbank. That makes complete sense to me. It flows for me and I am a flow person. But if you believe it was Jesus whom Daniel had encountered, like I do, then you are presented with an interesting dilemma to sort out. Okay? Look up at the screen and jump down to verse 13. This is coming from the one talking to Daniel. And we are told, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left there with the kings of Persia. 
the one talking to Daniel explains that on his way from heaven to earth, try to follow me here, he was attacked. He was attacked by the prince of the kingdom of Persia. This is not a man. This was a demon who was assigned to influence the king of Persia to work against God's plans and God's people. This was a demon who for 21 days restrained the one talking to Daniel until help came from the archangel Michael. That's what's being said here. So I don't know about you, but I have a problem imagining Jesus being restrained by any demon for any length of time. And so now I have a decision to make. If Daniel had an encounter with a glorious angel along the riverbank, as many suggest, then this flows really nicely. But... If Daniel had an encounter with Jesus Christ along the riverbank, then the one who is now helping Daniel and talking to him has to be someone different. Are you following me? Hopefully that makes sense. I believe Daniel had an encounter with Jesus along the riverbank. And while he was passed out, Jesus leaves and an angel shows up. Perhaps Gabriel again. So I believe an angel is now with Daniel. He is gentle with this old man, helping him up to his hands and his knees. Then Daniel is told that he is a man of high esteem. He's a man who's greatly loved and treasured by God, and he should stand up. Daniel stands up, but he's still trembling and wobbly on his feet. And then the angel says, Daniel, from the first day you prayed in humility, from the time you sought the Lord with all your heart, heaven responded. It was that quick. Your prayer for understanding was heard, and I was sent forth to reveal the future for your people to you. But on my way, I was delayed, locked 
into battle with a demon assigned to influence the kingdom of Persia until Michael came to relieve me. This is a rare glimpse behind the curtain. Angels and demons are real. And they are active in the unseen spiritual world. They have ranks and hierarchies of authority and power. They seem to have assignments. They can influence kings and kingdoms. Good on the part of angels, evil on the part of demons which may help explain why certain leaders and certain nations do what they do. And as we see here, they engage in battle. Even over the prayer of a humble man. That's amazing to me. They engage in battle even over the prayer of a humble man. Let's camp out there for a second. As we can see behind the curtain, prayer really matters to God, and it should matter to us because as someone once said, the Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. And prayer, which is grounded in the truth of God's Word, prayer offered according to God's will can prompt Divine activity in both the seen and the unseen worlds. Prayer is not some therapeutic exercise. It's not just some box we check off in the morning to do our spiritual duty and to make ourselves feel good. It's a big deal. Things really happen. There's an unseen battle going on and when we pray according to God's will, He hears our prayers. And even though He hears our prayers, we may not experience a timely response as we desire. And therefore, like Daniel, we are to be persistent in prayer. Daniel just didn't pray once and then give up. He humbled himself and kept at it, totally unaware there was a real unseen battle going on over his prayer. How long did Daniel pray until the answer came? Three weeks. That's what we're told. Three weeks. 
How long was the angel locked into battle with the demon? We're told 21 days or three weeks until the super angel Michael showed up. Was there a link? Was there a link between Daniel's prayer and the angelic victory? I honestly don't know. But it's something to think about, isn't it? Anyway, the angel tells Daniel why, why he has come. I'm here to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days. That's what you were praying about. I have a vision for you concerning Israel's future. For your days, all the way to the end of days. What a day for Daniel. Trying to make sense of all that he has heard and saw and experienced. I believe he has seen the Son of God and passed out cold. He's interacted with an angel. He's apparently just learned about the warfare in the unseen world. And he's received a vision concerning the future of his people. It's a lot to take in. Daniel's overwhelmed. And it explains the next passage beginning with verse 15. When he had spoken to me, according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, O oh my Lord, as a result of the vision Anguish has come upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. Then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. So Daniel was wiped out, drained of strength and speechless. And then it appears another angel shows up who touches Daniel on the lips. At that point, Daniel can speak, but nothing more. 
And in so many words, he says to this angel, with all due respect, with all due respect, I am unworthy to handle something like this. This is all too much for me. After receiving this vision, I'm in anguish. I'm a wreck. I can barely breathe. I've got nothing left to give. Once again, the angel touches Daniel and his strength is renewed. And also, once again, Daniel is reminded he is highly esteemed. Greatly treasured and loved by his God. And as a result, there is no need to be afraid. There's no need to throw in the towel. Instead, be strong and courageous. Then before the angel leaves... He provides Daniel with some final words, beginning with verse 20. Then he said, Do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However... I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. Here the angel asks Daniel if he understands why he came. It's a rhetorical question. Just to make sure Daniel is clear. He's had a hard day. Then the angel explains, the battle is not yet over. He is to return to assist the archangel Michael. And they, they were the only two who are needed. They're the only two who are needed in battling the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. Two demons who are opposed to God's plans and God's Lastly, the angel says to Daniel that he will tell him what is inscribed in the writing of truth. This is a description of God's prophetic revelation for his people. It's written out. It's inscribed. It's engraved. It's the truth. It's a done deal. And no amount of demonic activity can change the outcome. It's done deal. So, that was the introduction for these last few chapters in this book. And I don't know about you, but that was a very convicting introduction. Prayer makes a difference. At times, that difference may be completely unknown to us. 
And as we have learned this morning, that difference may have an impact in both the seen and the unseen worlds. We know this to be true. I'm not telling you something you don't already know. We know this to be true, and yet, why don't we pray more? Why do we give up after a few attempts, after a few minutes? Where is the sincerity and the passion in our prayer? Or maybe there's a better question. A question I will leave you to ponder. If Daniel prayed just like you do, what might have happened? Yikes. Let us pray. Father, I I thank you so much for this time in your word. A very enlightening word and yet a very convicting word. And Father, I must confess, I do not pray like I, like I need to. Father, forgive me. Forgive us. Father, give us a heart to come into your presence through prayer. Give us a passion for you. A zeal to talk to you. And Father, help us to hear you. Help us to be people of prayer like Daniel was. I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. For the last few minutes, my mind has been flooded with thoughts. I'm I'm going to share a story about prayer that I've shared with you before. Maybe someone needs to hear it who hasn't heard it. I, I don't know. I just feel like I'm supposed to share it. I had been a Christian for about a year and a half. Maybe two years. I was in a Sunday school class at a a Baptist church. And after the class, the, the teacher came to me and said, Hey, would you like to join us? in some evangelistic work, some mission kind of work. I was one of these new excited Christians, just ready, just excited about being being asked to do something. So I jumped on it. Probably should have asked a few questions beforehand, but I I jumped on it. 
Come to find out, this we were going into a prison in Huntsville, Texas. And I had been assigned to the unit called The Walls. It looks like the Shawshank Redemption Prison with the big, big walls. <clears throat> I had never been in prison before. <clears throat> but as we're walking in and we're going through the metal detectors and we're getting patted down and, and I'm putting every, anything of value, anything that could be used as a weapon, we're putting it in lockers, the anxiety and the stress it's just, it's just welling up in me. I was with some other guys from the church. So I felt pretty good. I got a posse with me. I got a gang with me. I should be all right. So we are led out into this big prison yard. I'm with my people. And the prison yard is just full of inmates. <clears throat> In my mind, they're all looking at me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm that paranoid now. I mean, I just think they're all looking at me. Unbeknownst to me, what occurs behind me is that all the people who came, the counselors, we're called counselors, were herded up and taken to a, another place for some orientation. <clears throat> I missed all that. <clears throat> When I, when I realize what's going on, I'm out in this prison yard by myself with all these inmates. Nobody knows I'm there, except for the inmates who are really looking at me now. Because I'm the only one there. I now engage into fervent prayer. Those are the kind of things that will incite fervent prayer. Okay, that's what we're doing right now. Fervent prayer. As in, Lord, what are you doing? Why am I here? Get me out of here. This is crazy. I'm going to die. You know, um, those are the kind of things I'm talking to God about. <clears throat> Trying to look tough because, you know, there's a bunch of inmates and I don't want to be anybody's girlfriend, right? But I'm, I'm trying to look tough. But I want to look personable at the same time because I'm an evangelist, supposedly. So it's, it's one of these things here. And I'm praying like a crazy man. And I say, Lord, I don't know what to do here. All I've got is little Bible tracks. I've never shared Jesus in my entire life. All I've got is little Bible tracks. Show me what to do. I cannot explain this. Other than saying it was a God thing. But there are all kinds of inmates out there. And for some, I don't, it's hard to describe but for some reason, only two stuck out, and they were over there in the corner. It's like everything else went gray. And all, the, only thing that, the only thing that was clear to me were these two inmates over at the far end of the prison yard. So I started walking over towards them, praying fervently the whole time. And I'm wondering how I'm going to start a conversation. I am that nervous. Do I say hi? Is that manly enough? You know, do I, I mean, do I, deeper voice? I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I'm terrified. I have nothing in common with these people. 
nothing. This is gonna, this is gonna go wrong. But I keep walking and I'm praying like a crazy man all my way up to these guys. It was a, it was a, a white man and a black man who were talking together. I approached him. I told him my name. And just to cry, just trying to create some conversation, I asked them their names and asked them where they was from. They told me their names. One man was from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And the other guy was from Corpus Christi, Texas. Milwaukee and Corpus Christi. At that time in my life, I was a young Coast Guardsman. Been in the Coast Guard for just a few years. Had only been stationed in two places. In the entire nation, only two places I'd been stationed at. My first station was the Coast Guard Cutter West Wind out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And the second station was my current duty station, Corpus Christi, Air Station Corpus Christi, Texas. I even knew, I even knew where these guys lived. And immediately we just had this connection and this bond. And I put them on a little Bible track and they both prayed to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they got so excited they wanted to take me into the prison. Yeah. The belly of the prison. Okay, you know what? I'm really happy for you people, but no. No, I'm tell you what. I'm just going to stand right here. You can bring people out to me. And I stood right there. I had a line of about 30 people wanting to, me to re-attract to them. I was at a place like Daniel where I was, it was just a humble, fervent prayer. God, I need you. I'm in a situation I don't know how to get out of. You have got to take this. That's where I was at in my life. God, you have to take this. This is, this is, too, this is, too, this is too overwhelming for me. I have no control. You've got to do something. And he did. And he did. Oh, you know there were, absolutely. Paul talks about, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for our struggle, this is so important, our struggle is not so much against flesh and blood. Yes, flesh and blood live with you. They're married to you. You work with them. They're in your house. They're at your place of work, right? It's easy to struggle with flesh and blood. I get that. But then he continues. But no. Our struggle is actually against principalities and powers and forces in an unseen world. And he calls these heavenly places. That's an unseen world. That's where the battle is. We're, we're, we're in battle. We're not, again, we're not, we're not in a playground here. This is a battleground. Actually, we are behind enemy lines. That's where we're at. This is a big deal. Prayer is a big deal. And I'm the first to admit, sometimes when it comes to prayer, I just go through the motions. Just like many of you, I know this. Just go through the motions. Got a little routine prayer, I say. Right? Right? I do the same. Absolutely. 
I know you do too. Maybe I forget who I'm talking to sometimes. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe, maybe I just forget who I am talking to. He is the Lord God Almighty. And he desires to hear my voice. That's crazy. And he loves me. Maybe you're here this morning and you do not know him as your Lord and Savior. I would love to talk to you about him. He loves you more than you'll ever know. He would love to hear your voice. Trust me. He would love to hear your voice. Maybe you're looking for a place to call home. Or maybe you just need prayer. Whatever you need. Just be obedient and respond to him like you're supposed to. Larry? Can you stand, please?